The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. For my ninth birthday party, I asked my parents if we could go to the movies, and I could invite some friends to go to the movies with me. And so we loaded up the car with my friends, and we went to the movie theater, and we got there. My mom had pre-ordered the tickets, and she bought tickets for a movie called The Princess Bride. You could imagine, as a nine-year-old boy, how embarrassed I was that my mom bought tickets to a Barbie movie. What were the guys going to think of me? Well, if you have seen the movie, you know it's quite the contrary. It is an epic tale, an adventure of the main character's name, Wesley, who goes to rescue his childhood sweetheart from marrying the odious Prince Humperdinck. On the way, he meets a thief who is an accomplished swordsman and a huge giant who we know as Andre the Giant. And he can only doggy paddle, if you remember. They join Wesley on this heroic quest. And in this movie, there is that famous line, As you wish. And as we left the movie, we kept saying, as you wish. And you know, there's the other famous line, right? Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Today we start the story of Jonah. And I will tell you that it is greater than any epic summer blockbuster movie. It is a story of great adventure of the prophet Jonah. He is given a mission. He rejects the mission. He is left for dead. He is miraculously rescued. He fulfills this impossible mission reluctantly, and it is successful. It is a literary masterpiece with a complex structure. There's humor and irony And then the story ends with a question and the word cattle. Perfect for Wisconsin. Like most great stories, it too has a famous line, which is salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a line that is proven time and again throughout the story of Jonah, throughout the story of Scripture, And throughout the story of God's church. If you would please open up to Jonah chapter 1. If you are in the red Bible, it is page 774. If you are in the children's Bible, it's page 1101. Jonah chapter 1. If you have a basic familiarity with the Bible and you hear the story of Jonah, you probably think of a big fish, right? But to be honest, Jonah is not primarily about a big fish. It is not about the city of Nineveh. The theme of Jonah is that the Lord is a God of boundless compassion to rebellious people. This includes sailors. It includes Ninevites. It even, it even includes a rebellious prophet named Jonah. 
we also see that God is determined to get his saving message to the nations to the nations and that there is a need for the nations and for us to repent and when we repent God promises to relent of his justice and wrath the story of Jonah is not a made up story it's not an allegory it is a historically true story as Jesus shows us in the gospels and as we read through this epic story of Jonah this summer we should be challenged in our own willingness to be vehicles of God's compassion and mercy to others. Today, we're going to start with just the first four verses of Jonah. I was going to do the whole chapter, but as Murray Freilich said, I wanted to choose a smaller spoon. And so we're going to look at Jonah 1, verses 1 through 4. Read along with me and then keep your Bibles open as we look back at the text today. Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord curled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the story of Jonah. Lord, we look forward to it with anticipation of what we are going to see about your character, your goodness, your love. We look forward to it in anticipation of how you are going to transform our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might be free from the worldly pleasures and set on fire to live as agents of your compassion, mercy, love, and redemption. We pray that you would do this in our lives, in our church, in our city. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In the first four verses of Jonah, we see three basic scenes. And so we're just going to jump right in. The first scene is that the Lord calls Jonah. Jonah is a prophet. A prophet's role is to communicate God's clear message. He is the spokesman of God. He's not born into this lineage of being a prophet like the priests were. Rather, he is assigned and appointed by God to be a prophet. Jonah prophesied between 782 and 753 B.C., before Christ. And he prophesied in the northern kingdom of Israel. The time of Jonah was a time of relative peace and prosperity as the Lord by his grace, despite the wickedness of the king, expanded the kingdom of Israel. We see Jonah's name pop up one other time in scriptures, and it comes in Second Kings 14. You can read along with me on the screen. It says this, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. Yet, despite his sin, despite his wickedness, he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath, Heifer. Jonah had a pretty sweet job. Jonah was a spokesman for God, and what he got to preach was success. What he got to preach was grace. Despite the wickedness of the king, God is going to expand the territory of Israel. But then Jonah's assignment changes in verse 2 of today's passage. We'll start in verse 1. Read along with me again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, if you're like me, you probably don't know world history that well or world geography in 750 B.C., and so I have a map for you up here to kind of lay out what we're looking at. If you could put the map up. There we go. And so what we have right here, I have a laser pointer, but it's not, doesn't shine bright enough. Right here, we have Israel, where Jonah is from, and he is being called to Nineveh up here. And what you see is it is in the middle of the Assyrian Empire. Now, the Assyrian Empire had quite a reputation. It was a horrible empire. It was a vicious empire. There are pictures of the Assyrian Empire in which bones are laid out in front, skulls are laid out in front of Nineveh just to deter people from coming there, to warn their enemies that this will happen to you. There's artwork of where they took the conquering general and pulled them with fish hooks in their mouths. Pictures of people being skinned alive. It was a brutal empire. And Jonah was being called to leave the comfort and peace, and prosperity of Israel to walk into the capital city, the biggest and baddest city of the Assyrian Empire, and to tell the people, repent, because the Lord, a God that you may have never heard of, is offended by your sin. I think we can understand a little bit Jonah's hesitation. Let me put this in perspective. What if tonight you were lying in bed, and you heard the voice of God, and it was without mistake, and you heard this Arise, go to the capital of North Korea. Go to that great city and call out against it for the evil has come up before me. Would any of you be hesitant to answer that call? Maybe I need to have some friends pray about this. Maybe, you know, this is the calling that God has on Jonah's life to leave a life of comfort to leave a calling of proclaiming success and to go and call a wicked nation to repentance. Sometimes, many times, God calls you and me to do things that are risky, that are dangerous, and that are just completely ridiculous. Leave Israel, go to Nineveh. That is crazy. God calls us to do hard things, even painful things. This is still true today. 
You know, it is a hard and crazy calling on your life if God calls you and your family to leave your extended family and go overseas and do missions. It is a ridiculous calling of God to give your time and your effort and your money to help those that are marginalized. You know, God's scripture is filled of callings, of commands that seem ridiculous to the world, that seem absolutely insane. It is a ridiculous calling that God would call us to purity before marriage. How would you know that you're compatible? It is a ridiculous calling to give a tenth of your money and tithes to the Lord's work. What could you do with all that money? It is ridiculous to love your enemy. What if they hurt you again? You see, God is a God of ridiculous callings to the world. They seem extreme and they seem unreasonable. And so when you hear a calling from God, either through the Holy Spirit or through his word, we have to look and remember the character of our God. That God is a God of love and of goodness. We have to remember his resume that he has never left us or forsook us. We have to remember his promises that he will use all things for our good. You know, parents, we give many commands to our kids. We will say, stop that, do that, come here, go there. And many times they don't understand it. Many times they're confused. Many times they don't like it. And what do we say? We say, trust me, right? Trust me. I love you. I care for you. I know more than you. Now, if we as fallible, sinful adults ask our children to trust us when we give a command, how much more should we trust a holy and perfect and sinless and loving God when he commands us to do something we don't understand? And so you see, when God calls us to do ridiculous things, we are called to trust his resume, to trust his character, to cling to his promises and follow him in obedience, no matter what the cost and no matter how ridiculous it might seem. And so the Lord calls Jonah. Now, how does Jonah respond? Jonah 1, verse 2. The Lord said to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for the evil that has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is a major part of the Jonah story. And so I want to camp out here for a little bit and I look at how Jonah flees from the Lord, why Jonah flees from the Lord and the consequence of Jonah fleeing from the Lord. First, how did Jonah flee from the Lord? I have another map for you here today. This is a bigger map. And so again, here is Israel in this area and Nineveh is up here. And Paul, I'm sorry, Jonah is trying to take a ship to uh, Tarshish, which is probably somewhere located in Hispania, in, his, in Spain. And so what he's looking to do is he's, he's looking to get a far, a far, as far away from God as possible. He's going to the extent of the civilized world to flee from the calling of God. Now, how did Jonah flee the Lord? It's interesting. There's an observation in verse 3. It says, Jonah paid the fare and went on board. There is a possibility that Jonah had to charter this boat and pay for the whole thing. 
If not that, it was at least a pretty penny for him to get away. And so he was doing whatever he could to get away from the Lord. You know, many of us would condemn Jonah for fleeing God's commands. But the reality is each and every one of us do the same. You know, there is always a ship leaving for Tarshish that we can jump on. There is always a way that we can run away from the Lord. Charles Haddon Spurgeon tells the story of a boy in his elementary school who just had this horrible anger. And whenever he got really angry, he would pick something up and he would throw it. And Spurgeon said it didn't surprise him that the boy got angry. It didn't surprise him that he threw something. What surprised him was that there was always something to throw. There is always a way to flee from the Lord. In fact, we have many techniques and many strategies to flee from God. Many of them that we don't even know that we have. Some of our techniques might be avoiding church, saying, I'm too busy for that, or Sunday's my only day to sleep in, or Saturday night was late. Sometimes we flee from God by surrounding ourselves with passive people who will never confront the sin in our life. Sometimes we flee from God by talking ourselves out of believing that God really exists. That way we don't have to follow him or obey him. Sometimes our strategy is trying to find loopholes in scripture. Sometimes our strategy is avoiding spiritual intimacy, whether it be accountability or small groups or whatever it might be, that we won't have to change who we are or what we're doing. And we won't be confronted by the calling of God. For many people, they avoid God by refusing to put themselves under any human authority as God calls us to. And they try to live as Christian cowboys. We flee from God and we have so many tactics. Jonah fled from the Lord by taking a ship. How do you flee from the Lord? What are your techniques? Finally, why did, not finally, but we see how Jonah fled from the Lord. Now, why did Jonah flee from the Lord? Twice in verse 3, we're told that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But the question is why? Why was he fleeing this calling from God? Well, Jonah had his own agenda, his own prerogatives. He had his own desires, and they were not the same as God's. Jonah did not like what the Lord was calling him to. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Surprisingly, the primary reason Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh was not because he was in fear for his life. Jonah actually tells us later in chapter 4, near the end of the story, Jonah, spoiler alert, Jonah goes to Nineveh eventually. He proclaims repentance. Nineveh repents, and God relents of his anger. And then we read this of Jonah. Jonah 4, verse 2. Jonah says this, O Lord, is it not this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Do you see why Jonah was fleeing the calling of God? It wasn't because Jonah was afraid for his life. He was afraid that they would repent. He was afraid that God would be gracious to them. Jonah knew the character of God. Jonah knew that God was a gracious 
and merciful God, that he would relent of his justice if they would repent. You know, I have this same or similar frustration with my wife. She is a horrible person to watch a football game with. When it is three seconds left, and the other team is setting up to kick a game-winning field goal, right? And the snap goes, the, the, high, the, you know, the ball's hiked, the, the, the guy puts the ball down, and the guy kicks it, and it goes wide right. I'm there going, yes! You know, I'm celebrating, and my wife is on the couch, and she's sad. I'm like, what's wrong? We just won the game. And she goes, oh, I feel so sorry for the kicker. And it just aggravates me. It's like, oh, that's just like her to be compassionate. That's just like her to be merciful and empathetic and love the loser, you know? Then again, maybe that's why she married me. But but that's just like her. That's her character. And I hate it. Jonah hated That God was a God who loved broken people. He did not have the Lord's heart for the brokenness of the world. Jonah did not share the Lord's heart for the redemption of sinners. Jonah did not share the Lord's plan of redemption. And he fled. You know, I see this problem happening a lot in Christianity. A lot. I mean, it's pervasive. There is this us against them mentality. We belong to the good tribe. We are superior. They are the enemy. Okay? And so the way we see this is we, the church, the conservative Christian group, we are the good guys. The bad guys are those politicians. We, the conservative Christian church, we are the good guys. You know who the bad guys are? They're the abortionists, the homosexual community, the public school, the government the Supreme Court, Hollywood. Those are the bad guys. We are the good guys. This is exactly what God is confronting Jonah about. Ephesians 6 tells us this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against Satan and all the evil forces and sin itself. You know, when we look at the story of Jonah, Jonah is the religious guy. He's a spokesman for God. He is a prophet And yet he is the one fleeing from God. You see, he is no better than the Ninevites. But he puts in his mind this us-against-them mentality. Fleeing from God is the very picture of sin. Sin is an attempt to run away from God, to run away from the presence of God, to run away from the command of God. We all flee from God's calling, whether it be to trust Him as Savior or to obey his commands in scripture, or to follow his leading in our lives. We all choose to flee God, just like Jonah is doing. This fleeing from God is nothing new. We see Adam and Eve do it in the garden. They sin against God. They eat the forbidden fruit. God comes into the garden. What do they do? They flee. They hide. 
they run from God. I want to look at, finally, what are the consequences? Excuse me, I'm getting lost in my notes here. What are the consequences of fleeing the Lord? I want to point out, initially, the consequences aren't much. Jonah walks to Joppa, a 50-mile walk, doesn't get struck by lightning, doesn't fall dead. He gets on the ship. He's setting sail. He thinks he's succeeding. He's in the bottom of the ship. He's falling asleep. There is no initial consequence to Jonah disobeying the Lord. But as you look through this passage, you see the consequences that come slowly are grave in nature. Again, in verse 2, the Lord says to Jonah, Arise, arise, and go to Nineveh. And then in Jonah's disobedience, we see not Jonah arising, but Jonah going down. We read in 1.3 that Jonah went down to Joppa. In 1.5, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. In Jonah 2.6, he confesses to the Lord, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. The consequence of Jonah fleeing from the Lord was that his heart and his soul was rotting away. When it uses this word, went down, it's a euphemism for death, suggesting that Jonah's heart and his soul and his personhood was dying slowly over time. The death that sin creates in our relationship with God, it's not a quick death. It's not like a gunshot where you're shot and you're killed, but it's like radiation. You consume it and you walk away and you say, nothing happened to me. I'm not glowing. But the effects start to come out over time. This is what happens when we're running away from God. I see this very vividly in a lot of the marriage counseling that I do. A lot of the marriage counseling is because spouses have secrets, because they've sinned against each other and they've never repented or asked for forgiveness. And they think, look, I got away with it. My marriage is still good. We still have happy times. But slowly and surely, the marriage rots away. And then they come to the end of the rope and they say, what happened to us? Where did we lose intimacy? Why do you feel so distant? It's because the sin is like radiation and it has rotted away your relationship with your spouse. In the same way, our sin rots away our relationship with God when we are running away from him. So we see the Lord calls Jonah. Jonah flees the Lord. Finally, the Lord pursues Jonah. Look with me in verse 3 again. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He says Tarshish three times just to make sure we know he's not going to Nineveh. He's going to Tarshish. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. For some reason, Jonah thought he could flee from the creator and sustainer of the universe. For some reason, he thought he could get away from an omnipresent God who is everywhere at once, that he could get away from an omnipotent God who is all-powerful. 
It was an exercise in futility, to say the least. And here we see the expression of God's boundless love and grace and mercy towards a disobedient and rebellious and fleeing prophet. The Lord does not let Jonah go. He does not let him flee into destruction. Rather, the Lord, the God of the entire universe, chases down Jonah by sending a storm. John Stott, who's a famous commentator, writes, My faith is due to Jesus Christ himself, who pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running away from him, in order to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. You can run from God, but you cannot hide. You can run from the grace of God, but you cannot hide. The Lord is ever-present, all-powerful hound of heaven who is tracking you down wherever you go. Now, you might be here and you might be saying, Who am I that God would pursue me? I'm not a prophet. I'm not a pastor. I'm no one special. Why would God pursue me? My sin is so deep and my rebellion has been for so long. I don't know if God would pursue me. I don't know if I'm really worth pursuing. Jesus in Luke 15, 1 through 10, we read that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and they were drawing near to him to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see the us against them mentality? So Jesus, the Lord, told them this parable. This is what he said. He said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one sheep until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He goes on. He says, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here is the glorious news of the Bible the glorious news of the gospel, the glorious news of Christ. You are that sheep. You are that coin. You are the one that God throws a celebration in heaven for all the angelic hosts to rejoice when you repent and turn to him. You see, the good news that we find in Jonah 1, 1 through 4, is that there's not just one but, B-U-T, no more T's, all right? There's not just one but, but there are two buts in this story. All right, get your giggles out. Look here, Jonah 1-2. We see God commands Jonah to obedience. And look how 1-3 starts. But Jonah rose to flee. This is all of our story. 
All of us have been called by God. All of us have fled from God. Like sheep, we have all gone astray. But the good news is this is not the last but of this story. Look in verse 4. But the Lord. The Lord calls us, but we flee from him. But the Lord pursues us. God, in his unrelenting, persistent grace, pursues Jonah. And by that same grace, he pursues people like us. God sent a greater Jonah, his son, Jesus Christ, who heard the calling of the Father. And though he prayed for another way, he followed through in obedience. And he went into the city, and they beat him, and they crucified him. But three days later, he rose from the dead because God is coming after his sheep because God wants his coin, because God wants you. You can run, but you can't hide from the hound of heaven. You can run, but you can't hide from the good shepherd. You can run, but you can't hide from the unrelenting grace of God. Let me end with this. If you're here today and you trust in Christ for your salvation, Jonah's story is your story, and it's my story. Not just once, but time and time again. We see the Lord calls Jonah, just as the Lord calls us. Jonah flees the Lord, just as we have fled him into sin. But the Lord pursues Jonah. In the mid-1700s, there was a young boy named Robert Robinson. And he lost his father at a young age and was forced into the work field. And as he went into the work field and was surrounded by other people than his father, he fell into a very bad crowd and he indulged in some very catastrophic decisions. And he fled into a life of sin. Well, at the age of 17, in a drunken stupor, he heard a sermon by George Whitfield. The Spirit of God, the Hound of Heaven, tormented him for three years years until one day he trusted in Christ for his salvation. He surrendered to God. He quit running. He repented and turned to the Lord. He then studied to be a minister of the gospel. In age 23, he wrote a hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You know the words? He says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. And then he says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Amazingly, that came true in his life. Robert lapsed and went back into his lifestyle of sin and ran away from the Lord. He, like us, was prone to wander. And then in an act of God's great providence, one day, Robinson entered into a stagecoach. And there was a woman humming her favorite hymn. Can you guess what it was? Come thou fount of every blessing. And she turned to him and she asked him, Sir, have you ever heard this hymn? And this is his reply. Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds to enjoy the feeling I had then. I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote the hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds to enjoy 
the feeling I had then. There is no pleasure in running from God. We may think there is, but there is no pleasure. And whether you are a ship on a ship or a stagecoach or in a basement, the hound of heaven will seek you out with his unrelenting grace to bring you back to himself. Maybe it will be through a friend. Maybe it will be through a circumstance. Maybe it will be through a storm. Maybe it will even be through a lady humming on the bus next to you. Whatever it is, God is pursuing his sheep to bring them back to himself. After that providential encounter with the lady, Robinson, who once wrote that hymn, became a living example of it. He was drawn to repentance, restored into fellowship with God, and once again discovered the streams of mercy never ceasing. Where are you running from God? There is no joy there. There is no delight there. It is an exercise in futility. Today, God, through his word, is proclaiming to you and to me his unrelenting love for you, that he is calling you to repent and to surrender and rest in his boundless love. Let me end with some lyrics from that famous hymn. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning confessing that we flee from you in so many ways that we don't even know, God. Uh, We deceive ourselves. We're not even coherent of the ways that we are fleeing you, Lord. And yet, even in the midst of our ignorance, you're still pursuing us because you love us, because we are your sheep. We are your lost coin. We are your treasure. Lord, this grace is too glorious to comprehend, but God, we pray that you would help us fill our hearts with the good news that even though we flee from you, you pursue us. We praise you for that glorious truth. In Christ's name, amen.